0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in on a little bit of everything with me. And I am your host, Angelica. This is a podcast that talks about a little bit of everything. So sit back and enjoy the show.
1: If you're not doing something that you're passionate about, it ain't going to work. That's me paraphrasing, but that is what Steve said. And, and it's so true. And at some point, I, if, I, if I ever had a passion for being a lawyer, I lost it and wasn't able to regain it. It wasn't working.
0: Everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. Today, my guest was an attorney for four decades and transitioned out of the law world just about last year. He is also an author of the book called And Just Like That, Essays on a Life Before and After Law. Welcome, Mark, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks very much, Angelica. Well, thank you, Mark. And I'm so excited because... I, this is probably the first time I've had, well, actually, no, second time I've had an attorney on my show, and I love hearing of their journey, especially with law and the hardships, because, I, you know, you only see so much on TV, and movies and shows make it seem like, wow, I want to be an attorney when I grow up, but then the reality
1: is. Uh, indeed, Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, and it, it's like so cool because you're like with you see these cases and you're just like, oh, you know, the dream and the dream of the dream. But Mark, introduce the listeners about yourself. Well, I wasn't
1: one of those people that um, saw the, the law shows on TV and then always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> um, so I went to, you know, went to college and um, spent those four years not really focusing all that much on what I was going to do when I graduated. And um, as I got to my uh, senior year, I hadn't actually figured out what I was going to do. So um, I graduated and then I just got this sort of series of jobs um, while I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. So, I mean, I drove a forklift um, and not well, and I painted lines on the state highways in Connecticut also not well. You can kind of tell my lines, they were the crooked ones. Um, And I just had a series of um, experiences that um, were were good, but not something that I was going to hopefully do for the rest of my life. And um, at some point during all of that, I just decided I'd apply to law school and kind of kick the can for three years while I figured out what I would do. So I actually never went to law school thinking I would be a lawyer. I went there with the idea that uh, at the end of the three years, I would have finally figured out what I would do with my life. Um, And interestingly, I don't think that's terribly unusual. I think the population of law students has always been and continues to be people that don't necessarily have this um, lifetime or teenage and then college passion to be lawyers. They go there for similar reasons that I did. They didn't know what else to do. So I, I got through my three years of law school. And um, not surprisingly, I still hadn't figured out what I wanted to do. So um, I got a job for a bankruptcy judge who I loved. And that led to pretty much, you know, the almost four decades of being um, a bankruptcy lawyer um, at large, at large firm. And, um, and it was good. Um, at times, it was great. At times, it was not great or good. Um, and I sort of spent my uh, my years and decades as a lawyer kind of negotiating with myself, how much longer am I going to do this? And, um, you know, I hadn't really still figured out what else I would do. And I began to have the mindset that I would like to get out of the law, but I didn't have any great idea of still what to do. So I guess my story is after my thought was it would take me three years of law school to figure out what to do. And it turned out it took me 41 years to figure out what to do.
0: You know, that happens because I even heard someone tell me that a lot of people change careers uh, either very late or in the middle or even at the beginning. You're kind of going, what do I do? And it's true. Like, I agree. Like, I went to school for architecture, I went to, George Brown College, which is located in Toronto, Canada. And, you know, it was the number one construction company, uh, sorry, school, construction school for college. And my dream was to become an architect. And then once I did the three years, I was kind of like, okay, so I just graduated in a recession of construction. My internship was canceled. And do I even go to university and pursue architecture become that architect that I've always wanted and then I look at the time frame and 10 years it was just like 10 years of a long time but you know with your whole experience when did you feel like it was the right time or was it because was it the work because you know people fall out of out of love with their passion so how did this happen
1: well, that one I didn't have a problem with because I, I never actually fell in love with being a lawyer. Um, so yeah, law, law is interesting. Um, it's it's all encompassing. There's a number of careers that that are that could be that way. I'm sure architecture is that way. I'm mm-hmm. sure medicine is that way. Engineering. So there's lots of things that you can do that sort of um, have the potential of taking over your, your existence. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a famous quote from one of the Supreme Court judges from the turn of the prior century, um, where he said that the law um, was a jealous mistress. So he kind of uh, personified the law and gave it a life. Um, and, um, and, and that's true. Um, and there's always this sort of contest between between being a lawyer and then having a need to have some form of balance so that you, you don't go crazy. I'm sure that's true for many other professions. It's, mm-hmm. it's especially true for being a lawyer. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that's unusual about being a lawyer may be different than architecture or engineering or, or medicine is I, I, I don't think law students and certainly I, uh, I don't think they have a really good idea of, of what it is to be be a lawyer what's it like mm-hmm. um, they have um, lost law, law firms do hire law students to work over the summer in what is called the summer associate programs but it doesn't give a great idea of what you do mm-hmm. um, and um, and so it's kind of a shock to the system when you finally get to the law firm and you find mm-hmm. out really what, what they do yeah. um, so I, I didn't you know I didn't have the passion and um, and I spent most of that th- that time having a series of one after the other midlife crises where i said okay that's mm-hmm. it <laughs> maybe it was after a particular trial because i was a bankruptcy trial lawyer um and i thought okay that's it i'm done um mm-hmm. but i didn't have any organization to my thinking and i didn't really have a good idea when i was saying okay i'm done well mm-hmm. what does that mean what am i going to do because i still had a family to feed mm-hmm. and um and so uh, i Really did bounce from uh, maybe call them dreams, one dream to another. I call them that in the book. Um, And I had crazy dreams, I had pipe dreams, I had unachievable dreams. But um, eventually, um, I started to become a bit more organized and thinking of what else could I do. And that's one of the other things about being a lawyer. Um, There's a real challenge if you've decided you want to move on, but you want to. You don't really want to sit in front of the TV with a, a remote control for the rest of your life. So what else can you do? And um, people ask that of lawyers. So what else can you do? I think tinged in that question is a bit of well, what else could you do? You know, there's nothing else you can do. You're a trained lawyer. Just go be a lawyer. And that 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 may be part of the jealous mistress that um, she's sort of drawing you back and contesting whether there's anything else you can do. But there's always other things that people can do. I think that's my story that never think there's only one thing you can do.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's so many things you can do out there. And, you know, the fact that you were telling me that this wasn't a passion, did you do it because what society is like, where you have your parents who expect you to be, you know, either that lawyer, that doctor, that dentist, that architect, they always choose obviously the higher occupations. Is it because of that? You just kind of like, you you just did it like was what was there more to that my parents didn't really push me
1: into being a lawyer mm-hmm. um they, they were they had their own issues and were which i talk about in the book and mm-hmm. and they were a little bit more focused on themselves perhaps than than me which may have been a good thing because um we tried very hard not to push our kid into something let him figure mm-hmm. out what he does like and hopefully he finds it and gets into it so i didn't get pushed that way it was more that i just sort of stumbled into being a lawyer because there wasn't anything else on the horizon mm-hmm. um calling me mm-hmm. um you know i i i play guitar but not great so that pipe dream was i would be in a rock and roll band Well I, I wasn't good enough for that and i i'm a photographer but that you know that really just didn't happen as a career although it's certainly been there as some place i can turn to and something i can go to when 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 i need that balance so it's provided a very important part of my life but not a career or or, or a paycheck so you know i just really spent an awful lot of time thinking what well, can i do this can i do that and meanwhile you have to go to work every day and that my work was this all encompassing career and it didn't give you a lot of time. Didn't give me a lot of time to uh, to ponder. Mm-hmm. So I pondered in 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 segments.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you tell me any downfalls that you've gone through with your journey? Because I feel like with every career, everyone's got a story of how they either kept motivated through something that they don't like, or they've kept motivated to stick to something that they do want to follow their passions and and how they triumph. So are you able to share any of that?
1: Well, um, as it turns out, I was uh, pretty good at being a bankruptcy lawyer mm-hmm. and um, it's a very contentious practice. Um, there's a handful of practice areas in the law that, that probably are more contentious than others. Bankruptcy happens to be one. Divorce law would be another that would come to mind where the parties are just really at each other's throats. Yeah, in bankruptcy, it's because there's not enough money to go around, mm-hmm. and you know, people who lent money want the money back, and people who got the money don't have it to give back, and it can make for some pretty contentious processes. But I, I, was, I was good at it, um, and you know, I, can, you, I could, and I suspect others, can take some, um, <clears throat> some pride in that, and um, being good at something makes it easier to go into work the next day. But at some point, you know, being good at what I was doing wasn't wasn't really cutting it mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and I'd like to say there was this light bulb moment where I said, OK, I'm done. I'm, and I meant it this time. But there really wasn't. Um, I, I would say that um, in looking back, you know, I went from being in my 20s to being in my 60s before I, I finally said, OK. I need to get organized. I need to think of things I can do that I would enjoy. And and then how do I pursue them?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And talking about your book and going into that transition. Now, when you said, this is it, like, I am done. How, you know, guide me through that process. Like, were you scared? Were you, because I know I've read, A chapter of it and you list there is like 10 rules in it which is really exciting because sometimes it's like it's relatable where you could use this when you're transitioning to a career to another so that's what I really liked about the 10 rules but tell me that feeling when you were all right I'm done this is it (laughs) let's go (laughs) it
1: was it was exhilarating it was scary Mm. for sure any any change I think would would um bring up a a bit of fear in in someone if they're being honest Mm -hmm. um and the change as big as this would certainly have the potential for making me scared um Mm -hmm. out of my mind um i i before i got to the change but i knew i wanted to Mm -hmm. um i i started reading some books and there's tons of books out there about career change or career pivot as some people call it and i read several of them and um They were good books, but they just really didn't resonate with me. Um, And then I read a book by um, uh, a company. So it was a collaborative effort, uh, people in the company. And the company's name was My Next Season. Um, And the book was largely by um, the president of the company, who used to be either the chief financial officer or the um, treasurer of Bank of America, so this humongous international bank. Um, one of the largest banks in the United States, if not the world. And he, he was on the team that helped guide uh, the bank through the financial crisis um, of 2008 to 2012. Uh, and then um, he left the bank and without a plan, but to move on to do something else. And he wasn't sure what the something else would be. And ultimately what it was, was to help other executives transition out of their lifetime job into their next phase or what he would call their next season. Um, and I remember I, uh, I read the book and it was the first book I had read on the topic that that actually resonated. And uh, but none of the stories in the book of people who had transitioned were about lawyers. And so I called him at, at his house like in Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't know him, but I, I found his number and called him and he talked to me for a long time and decided to take me on as a client and helped me put together a plan and be organized of what I would do in my next phase. How would that look? And that was incredibly helpful for me. And we spent three or four months figuring that out, um, his team and me. And then I walked into the managing partner's office and said that I was uh, done being a lawyer, and giving my we had a nine-month notice requirement Um, and that's really designed to help the firm make sure that my clients get transitioned to the next generation Mm -hmm. which i which i was happy to do and then i spent my nine months doing the transition and still going to court and trying cases and then my day came i was by that point i was here in denver and it was a snowy day in January. And it was my last day, and my secretary hugged me and I went downstairs and <clears throat> I don't think my feet touched the ground. <laughs> when I walked, when I walked home from the from the office, <laughs> but I did have this sense that there was some kind of, you know, U.S. Marshall type from the law firm that was going to come and say, you know, we've changed our mind. You can't leave. <laughs> <And so> I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've been there for almost 30 years and uh, at that yeah. one particular firm. And I kept thinking, if I look over my shoulder, this must be like what the guys who escaped from Alcatraz, if they got to the shore and <laughs> what they must have felt like. Mm-hmm. Yay, I'm out. But oh, I better keep looking over my shoulder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, that's that's crazy. And Well, did you have something to look forward to the next day? Like, did you set up like an agenda? Like, this is what I'm going to do at eight o'clock or at 12, I'm going to go grab a coffee. Like, did you have an agenda in place for that uh, the next day after you left?
1: I did. There are people that leave their profession and then want nothing to do with um, deciding what they're going to do next. And they spend six weeks, eight weeks chilling. And that wasn't going to work for me. So I already had planned out what I would do. I was on some art-related boards. Art's very important to me. And the boards that I'm on deliver art to the inner city kids, another thing that I'm very passionate about. Mm -hmm. I began to teach photography to veterans as a healing tool, which is um, actually pretty rewarding and pretty cool to watch that happen. The first thing that happened, even though I had this, and I was going to write the book, but the first thing that happened when I got done the very next day is I had this feeling of incredible euphoria that, I, okay, I did it. <laughs> and no one's coming after me. This is great. And I, I must say that euphoria is not an emotion that most lawyers tend to feel during their career. And so I didn't know what to do with it. I'd never felt euphoric before, certainly not as a lawyer. It turns out euphoria, is, while it's amazing, it, it interferes with everything you might want to do in a day. You wake up and you have your list and then you, the euphoria kicks in and you think, yeah, I could do it tomorrow. And so tomorrow becomes the next day and the next day. And so it, the first few weeks I had to wait for the euphoria to wear off before I could then really begin to turn my attention to what came next. Yeah. But it wore off.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and it ha- was kind of
1: cool while I had it.
0: <laughs> yeah. and. Oh, my gosh. What did your family and friends say when you you took on, like you're, you're transitioning to out of this, your career for so long? Um, a few weeks
1: after I left, well, actually a couple, a couple of months after I left the firm, I had lunch with one of my friends at the firm who, just as the food was being delivered to the table, looked at me and said, "Um, so now that you've had your your eight weeks of sabbatical, are you ready to come back? (laughs) And I and I looked at him, I said, no, I'm not coming back. This is real. This is this is the new me. I'm this is permanent. I'm not trying cases anymore. I don't have partners. I don't have clients. I don't have staff that I have to keep track of. I don't have judges that I have to answer to and opposing counsel. I'm, I, I have other things. Um, I have kids that need to get art education so that they can graduate from high school and, and live the American dream, um, even though they live in the inner city. And it's not as easy to live the American dream if you're in the inner city. And I have veterans that have PTSD that I need to help. I'm also involved with Habitat for Humanity. And wow. I have houses for people to get into. And that's that's to me. And that, that was really always the me, but it just took a while for me to get to it.
0: Well, that's fantastic. in what you're doing, getting yourself involved into the community, because that's so powerful, especially with Habitat with Humanity and you trying to get uh, kids in, in art. So that's awesome. That's so fantastic. But I wanted to ask, you do have a photography, you, you teach photography. And how did that passion come about? Was it something that you've always wanted to do? Or was it something that you kind of just picked up?
1: No, I was uh, I'm colorblind, and and that was discovered I th- in second grade. The teacher came in in a very colorful dress and sat in front of the class and was asked, and our assignment was to draw her. With our Crayola crayons and everybody in the class drew the pink dress and I drew it with a gray dress because I can't see pink very, very well and the teacher thought I was being a smart ass and so then I got off to the principal's office and then sends me to the nurse's office who gave me a colorblind test and in fact I am colorblind and so I was always scared of anything artsy because I didn't think I could do it because I can't do color and that got me to high school. I went to a really tough inner city high school, but remarkably they had an art requirement, which I blew off. And that got me into the principal's office. of so my second visit about art to a principal's office. And he called me out and told me I had, you know, I needed to take the art requirement. And I told him I was colorblind and that was never going to happen. And he said, no, I got you on this one. Um, we're about to start teaching a black and white photography class. There's a not-for-profit in, in the city that is sending a teacher into the high school who will teach black and white photography. Frank Martin was his name. I took the class, I loved it, I loved him, and I loved everything about photography. And I loved that either the camera would do black and white and therefore I didn't need color, or the camera would figure the colors out for me and I could trust the camera to get it right because you couldn't trust me to get it right. And so that was, I guess I was 15 and I've been taking pictures ever since. And that is my art form because it is the one I can do.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. I love that story. I really do. Now going into this book, I'm ready to ask you the questions. Now, when you wanted to start this book, did you have any doubts of like, am I doing this? Am I not? What was your whole thought process of starting the beginning stages of this book?
1: I felt like, it was something, there was a voice inside of me and I wanted it to come out and say what I wanted to say. There's so many different parts of how this happened, the path into the law, the life in the law, the, the path out, that I just decided I would write essays rather than a novel, for example. And that worked nicely. I I wasn't sure how disciplined I was going to be. I, I'd, I'd written two other books, publishing company, and that was during my law career. So they're very law books. They're like sort of law encyclopedias, treatises. And I had to be pretty regimented to do that. This was such a totally different project that I wasn't sure how serious I was going to be about it. i again, read some things from some famous authors of how they write. And there are those that wait for an inspiration and then wake up at 2 in the morning and just write until they've finished uh, whatever the, that particular thing is that they're writing. There are others who kind of book appointments with themselves, whether they write two words or 200 words or 2,000 words. When, they're, when that calendar uh, appointment comes up, they sit down and they write. And I decided I was more like the latter. And so I would book three or four appointments a week with myself. And much to my surprise, I actually enjoyed it. It was cathartic. I really was uh, having a good time with it. And so it wasn't a, a, a task or difficult. And, and then I, you know, when I finished, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to publication. The other books I had written were published by a real publishing company. This one, I'm old enough at this point that if I were to try to find a publishing company, I might. I might die before I found one, and so I decided to self-publish, and that's been a very educational and interesting experience. But but it's been fun because, you know, we're in the era of reviews. Um, some reviews can be brutal. Um, the reviews on Amazon are really interesting. Um, I've enjoyed reading how people have reacted to the book. It seems to have hit a chord with lawyers for sure even beyond that, you know, people who know lawyers or people who themselves are in, in a career pivot kind of mode, whether they're lawyers or not. So it's been fun.
0: Well, it's a good thing that you found something that's obviously something that you went through through life and creating this book for other lawyers, because I can imagine how many other people are kind of like, how do I do this? Like, is it my time to to, to do this now? And it's great that you've come up with this. Now, going through your 10 rules that you have, and I can say it's really relatable with any, I feel like it's relatable to any career that you're transitioning to. And tell me about it. How did you come up with these?
1: So some of them are tongue in cheek of things not to do, not to not to rely on your law firm to help you, not to rely on your family to help you kind of thing. So those would be negative things. Don't do this, don't do that. that and And I should say, these are my rules. I think this is such a personal issue and decision that it it, it's not necessarily true that the things that worked for me would work for someone else. But the, the one rule that I that I that started me down this path of thinking what else could I do was something that Winston Churchill had said and to paraphrase it, his his comment, I think it was during the 20s that he said this was that you while you might measure a career by what you get, you measure a life by what you give. And you know he was the, the, the height of pr- being profound and, and amazing and uh, thought-provoking. And that really started me thinking, well, what have I given? And I you know, I gave to clients for sure. And the, the firm, I did my job and duty as, as a partner in the law firm. So I suppose I gave to the firm. But in, in the world, what did I really give? And that took me back to this whole jealous mistress thing. Did I have enough time to give the in in the things that I'm that passionate about and to the people that I want to help? And the answer was not. I wasn't able to do that as a lawyer. And as soon as I sort of finally stumbled on that idea, I, which is one of the rules, which I think I said, follow Winston Churchill's lead in that rule. It got me, it sort of opened up horizons of me thinking about things that I could do that were um, that made me smile a lot when I got home at night and made me feel like I helped in some small way uh, and given. And that is what I do now. That that rule was extremely important to me. There, there's another rule about a Navajo phrase, know your East and your West, the, the Navajo Native Americans had a belief that the East was the place where all good and and order and tranquility was, and the West was where all disorder and evil was. I always felt like I would wake up in the morning in the East and take the subway when I lived in Philadelphia to work, and at some point on the subway ride, I'd I'd move into the Western hemisphere somehow, and that was where everything was uh, disordered and evil, not a place I wanted to be. And that was OK, because I always knew I'd get to go home that night on the on the subway to my home and be on the east side again. But at some point, I, I noticed I was waking up on the west side and and commuting to the west side, and I never got back to the east. And when I had lost a little bit of the, the good, I felt like that was telling me that it was time to figure out a way to capture back the things in life that are good. So th- those kinds of uh, rules... Uh, really were important to me and then Steve Jobs had a quote that you know if you don't if you're not doing something that you're passionate about it ain't going to work that's me paraphrasing but that is what Steve said and and it's so true and at some point i if i if i ever had a passion for being a lawyer i lost it and wasn't able to regain it it wasn't working
0: yeah yeah and you know i was reading through this earlier today and i was just like oh my gosh this is like making sense and like i said it for me it felt like it wasn't just for someone who's in law it could it really resonates with people who are just transitioning and you know i'm in that where i'm a project administrator but i'm moving into health and safety eventually hopefully by the end of the year and it's like you know this this all makes sense right yeah. Yeah. And it,
1: it, but it does make sense. But at times it's it seems so complicated that mm. kind of lose the ability to make sense of it. And so what do you do? You, you just go up, you get dressed and you, you get on the subway and you go to work the next day because yeah, yeah. uh, that's what you got to do. You know, it can affect you. It can make you despondent if you let it. It can take over your life. You know, the law is a jealous mistress kind of thing does not just apply to the law. You could say the medicine is a jealous mistress. But um, I think that what I've learned out of all this is you just don't give up. You, 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 you keep, if your gut is telling you that what you're doing isn't what you should be doing, you don't give up. You keep you keep working at the, the process and eventually, hopefully it won't take 38 years like it did for me, but eventually um, you'll get to something that you you, you love.
0: Hmm. And what is the big message that you want to send out to people who are going to read your book?
1: The book, to me, is is a book about being hopeful, um, and and not giving up on a dream. Um, dreams are very, very important, and even if they're dumb dreams or pipe dreams, they they your brain works in a or mind does in a in a, a very interesting way, and if you just keep dreaming, eventually you'll come upon the a dream where your reaction isn't, oh, I, that, that'll never happen. But all of a sudden, it's, yeah, that might work. I don't think my path is uh, terribly unusual. I think that's part of why the book resonates. That chapter about the, the 10 rules, I, I, I've made it a free download on my website. So if anyone is interested in getting a sense of the, the 10 rules and what I have to say about them, they can find it on my website.
0: Yeah, definitely. We're going to have that link in the show notes, guys. You got to download it because it really got to me. It was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I really mean that for me, this was an easy read because I, I have a learning disability. So sometimes when I see too much happening, my mind kind of like shuts down and I try to push myself to kind of like, okay, let's just read it. So I managed to read this today and I was just like, oh my goodness. Okay there is a free download. It's good to be in the show notes. You guys need to really just read these rules. Like it can help you with, even during this time, like when we're trying to figure out where our full-time job is taking us, like this is the time where I always tell people, this is the time where you need to figure out what's your next steps. If that passion that you have inside of you, you can really just take it on. And I have a lot of projects happening and I feel like the pandemic has really taught me to take risks, take on challenges, and it will it will reward you in the long run. So what has the pandemic taught you?
1: Well, my wife would say that I overplan and I'm I suppose guilty as charged, but I And as much as I planned for what my next phase was going to be, I did not, I damn well did not plan on a pandemic. And so just like everybody else in the world, you know, I woke up one day and everything had changed. So it has impacted just like it has for everyone else. And the impact on me is minor compared to the impact on so many other people in the world. But it did impact what I do. I don't get to meet with people. I don't get to f- fundraise in person. Which I enjoy. I don't get to see the kids. I don't get to see the veterans in person. The veterans and I now learn photography remote on Zoom. That's different. So it's required changing and, and pivoting. I, I would say and strongly say and, and and very much mean it that, you know, the pivoting I've had to do is minor compared to how this is affected so many people in the world and, you know, including the the inner city kids. So, you know, we wanna deliver art across the internet now. Well, you know, the huge equality issues because at least in the Denver public school system, when this all started, not every kid had internet, not every kid had a a laptop. So how, if I do, if we do a great video with one of our artists on YouTube, how is this kid gonna see it? And so how do we have educational equality when we don't have educational equality. Now, to their credit, the school system was able to deliver tons of laptops, and some of the internet providers were able to provide free internet uh, to the home. And so, lots of kids that didn't have access d- do now. Thank God, you know, they have it way worse than <laughs> any effect the pandemic has had on me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, for sure. You know, my
1: job, my job is to try to help figure out a way to bring. educationally quality in the arts to the to these kids
0: yeah yeah and it's unfortunate that now going through virtual it's an adjustment for everybody and not many people have the resources to do electronic and virtual so that's a tough one and i hope you can bounce back after once this whole thing is over which hopefully soon because i can imagine what you could possibly you're going through especially wanting to raise money and create awareness and such so Hopefully you can bounce back right away.
1: Yeah. And, you know, on the photography side, most of my summers have been spent photographing major league soccer. Professional sports has changed dramatically. And here in in Denver, the Colorado Rapids are our major league soccer team who I would photograph each year. And I've just gone back to starting to photograph them. Although the stadium's empty, it's very eerie. To have a professional sports team play in front of exactly zero fans, and they're only allowing four or five photographers in. Wow. Um, but, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll take whatever the pandemic will give me at this point, which is mm-hmm. sort of my attitude about it. Stay healthy, but don't go crazy.
0: Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And what's next for you? Are you going to have another book out or are you going to, I know there's a lot of things that you can't do right now, but am I going to see another book from Mark?
1: I hope so. I booked my appointment today. So I've been outlining my next book, which will be a novel, which is my first ever fiction. And it's going to be called Fresh Start and it's a bankruptcy novel. Of oh. course, <laughs> and, and you know, I searched on Amazon, and I have found no bankruptcy novels. That may be because nobody'd be crazy enough to write a bankruptcy novel, or maybe <laughs> nobody ever thought of it. I don't know which, but we'll find out. Um, <laughs> it'll be about a real estate developer who goes bad, uh, and then files bankruptcy and gets caught in the middle of a of a felony. Um, hopefully, people will find it interesting. My book, my appointment to begin writing it on October
0: one. That's amazing.
1: And hopefully I keep that appointment.
0: Yeah, no, you have to go. I'm kind of interested on this too. I'm just like, oh, okay, this is getting good. (laughs) I'm not much of a reader, but if I can find something that interests me, then I will read it. The only thing is maintaining the reading part, which is a struggle. And I've received so many books from authors that I've been been on the show. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't read this (laughs) book in like two days. Like, it's just, it's not me, right? So- I will, I definitely read this and I was so interested and, you know, I really appreciate all this information that you've given us so far and so awesome. And I'm glad you're doing so well. And I I can't imagine being in a profession for 30 years and all of a sudden you're doing something else. You're helping out the community. You're doing what you love.
1: Yeah, exactly. That may be the the key that I should have figured out when I was 20, mm-hmm. um, but I've, I've figured it out now and um,
0: I'll take it. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's never too late. You just got to make that jump and, you know, stick to it and have a plan. For sure. For yeah. sure. Well, Mark, I really appreciate all this information, but where can the listeners find you and where can they find your book?
1: So my webpage would be the best place and that's markshakenauthor.com. There, you can uh, read a little bit more about me in the book. And like I said, download the free chapter. And then you can also find me uh, on Amazon. I have an author's page there. If you visit the book page, you can sort of skim through and survey the reviews and see if the, the book is of interest.
0: Perfect. Well, to all the listeners out there, all of that information is going to be in the show notes. Don't forget to grab the book. Once again, it's called, and just like that essays on a life before during and after law, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate all your time.
1: It's been great. Thank you so much, Angelica, for having me on the show.
0: Well, thank you for listening in and thank you to all the listeners. Everything's going to be in the show notes, like I said, and that's all we have for now. Hi, this is Michelle Miller from Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jessica with the Beautiful Feet podcast. Hey, it's your boy, Bromart, host of The Bromar Show. Hello, everyone. It's the coupon Queen Queenpin
1: from the CQP Moments podcast. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Ken a.k.a. The gentlemen of the Gentleman lifestyle Podcast.
0: Hi, this is Stephanie Valente, your local massage therapist. And, yeah. and you, are you are listening good to good A Little, little, little bit, bit of Everything, everything with Angelica. That's it for now, and thank you for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me.